From all of us here at Milestone Church, Merry Christmas to you and your family. We hope you enjoy this message from our Christmas candlelight celebration. Once again, I want to say Merry Christmas to you. I want to say Merry Christmas to all those that are joining us online. We also have our Hazlitt campus that are streaming live with us, as well as if you're watching this message in a video venue at our Keller campus. Let's put our hands together and welcome everybody that's joining us. Well, I don't know about you, but Christmas always sort of sneaks up on me. It's kind of like, wow, is it another year? Am I another year older? It's kind of like, wow, is it that time again already? And even more so this year, as it was a very unique year. So I think all of us are trying to move into this Christmas time and all of what it means from family to friends to sharing gifts to the desire we have to hope and believe that all things can be right, that all things can be different. It doesn't really matter if you are in a desperate place, and I know that throughout our Christmas services, and I know there's someone in this service who probably has lost hope, hope around a job situation, hope around a health situation, Hope around someone that you love, that you care about, that it seems like it's hopeless that they would change or be different. Hope that you could have unity in your home or your relationships or your extended family. I find that hope is something that is so essential to the soul. And life just has a way of eroding it from us, yet we so desperately need it, almost like the air we breathe. And so this year, as I began to pray for all of you, I believe that, you know, you're always praying that, Lord, what do you want to say to the largest amount of people? And I kept just feeling this sense and this impression that God wanted to fill us with hope. Now, some of you are like, I'll take some of that, preacher. I'll take some right now. If you're telling me that that is something that I can actually apprehend and it's real and I could leave this service with it, I'll take it. There's others of you that have already kind of dismissed that, well, this is going to be one of those Christian light talks where the preacher's going to talk about fluffy stuff like hope because you've already given up a little bit. Or maybe you've disguised your need for hope so much that you're just plowing through life and you don't know that you need it as much as any person around you. I want to talk to you a little bit about this. I want to make it practical. I want to show you what the Bible says about it. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 15. You're like, I thought this was a Christmas service. You're turning over later in the Bible. Isn't Jesus kind of in the early part of the New Testament? Well, you might be surprised to find that the Christmas story is in Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to do it in a unique way. I'm going to try to connect with you around Christmas a little bit. Think about the passage And I'm going to do it in just a moment by showing you a little thing that I shot when I was thinking about you and talking about it and thinking about it. And then we're going to unpack it a little bit together. Now, I have to be honest with you, I had, like probably all of you, I had some ups and downs this year. You know, being a leader and pastoring people and everything takes twice as much energy and I don't know what you do or what your post or station or responsibility is, but I 
I had a few moments this year, so I have to be transparent. I'm trying to get into the Christmas spirit here just several days ago. And I'm like, okay, it's Christmas and, you know, I need to offer some hope and, okay, Lord, help me. And I always depend on one of my kids, my youngest. You may not know I have two in college. I have a sophomore in high school and then I have a 10-year-old who's real excited about Christmas. So she said, Dad, you need to get in the Christmas spirit. I said, okay, Lainey Kate, I'm in. What are we going to do to do that? She said, well, you need to know this year that you have an elf name. And so I drew you as you as, as an elf. This is you, Dad. This is you in your elf costume. This is you right here. And, uh, you know, she did a pretty good job there, kind of, uh, you know, a little round, bald head underneath the little hat, you know, covering up the bald head. I did say that uh, those, those eyebrows, Lenny Kate, those are pretty hefty there. I've been trying to keep mine thinned out a little bit, you know. I mean, I do have a problem as you get older, and especially if you're bald, it doesn't grow up here, but it does really grow out your ears and your nose. I just want you to know that. And the eyebrows can get crazy. I asked my wife, I said, do I have that bad of eyebrows? She said, you probably need to trim them up. They're getting a little bit close to mad scientists. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all, if you have mad scientist eyebrows, ask someone's opinion. Those would be crawling out at people and stuff like that. But she said, I said, so I'm an elf, huh? She said, yes, and you have an elf name. It's Pudding Pickle Pants. So I'm here to share this very important message with you as Pudding Pickle Pants the elf. Uh, that's what my Lanny Kate said that I am. But truth is, we think about Christmas and really all year long for me, when I start to talk about hope or I start saying, how do we have this real thing happen, not in the exterior, but in our souls? How does that happen? For me, it's not theory because I live my life serving people and working with people. And honestly, I'm not just using a theory. I do know this. There are some very desperate, hopeless people. There are people that are mildly melancholic and there are some who are depressed that don't know they're depressed. And there are others that are numb. Did you know I've looked across face after face and it's like we've come into this Christmas just kind of numb, just numb. You know, God wants to break through all that. God wants to break through all that and the very essence of the Christmas story provides hope for all of us. I work with people, so I've seen some people that were hopeless this year. I, I could do a list that could take more time than we have, but I just thought I'd bring out a few. I think about Matt and Rebecca Jackson. Rebecca has epilepsy, and she had a few wrecks, and she had some car accidents and just kind of compound this year with the isolation and the separation and she found herself feeling a little bit hopeless, like, how am I going to have interactions? How am I going to connect with people? I have this. And so she was feeling a little hopeless. Alizé, her friends and family call her Zay. She had kind of a hopeless situation. I had an opportunity at one of our services to actually see her at our Keller campus and see her face and how God's done some things in her, but she had a hopeless situation. You see, she had a troubled family life and bounced around from friends to family. And she was a good athlete, but she had a lot of challenges going on in her life. And if most people would have looked at Zay, they would have said, you know what? Her future is hopeless. I think about Lee. I actually had a chance to meet Lee. Lee and his wife have been married 10 years and never been to church, never knew about this hope that I want to talk to you about. 
See, if you don't know how to find what I'm telling you, you will look for it in some place. You will search for hope somewhere because remember, just like oxygen, your soul needs it. Lee and his wife never been to church, so started having challenges in their marriage. They started having challenges in their home. Lee started really just having a lot of bad behaviors because his brother died and he didn't know how to cope with it. So you have a family now, not just Lee, but you have a family that's hopeless. One of my favorite stories from this year did not start out great. It's the story of Angel, who's a single mom, who just a couple of weeks ago, she was in a hopeless place. She had special needs children. She got COVID, had to quarantine. Her her kid's teacher got COVID, so six weeks she had no pay. And before coming to our ladies' event called Joy, she actually said, I've got to get to that moment. I don't know why, but something's compelling me to get there. She spent her last few dollars to hire a babysitter to get to Joy. But before she comes, she had received a 24-hour eviction notice. Angel came to that moment hopeless, struggling to find hope. I think all of us are searching for it and all of us need more of it. Let's get this this started a little bit though by looking at this understanding of hope, what we're searching for this time of year and I wanna come back and help you unpack it. Watch this with me. Hey, I have a question for you. What's your favorite Christmas moment? Is it when you and the family drive around and look at Christmas lights and everyone has hot chocolate? Is it that moment where you see your children, that that special moment? I'm big on when my kids were little footy pajamas and they're opening that present. what's, What's that moment where it's like, it's Christmas? You know, is it a service that you're attending with your family? Is it a special time throughout Christmas? What, what is that special Christmas moment? There's so many parts of the Christmas season that we enjoy and we love those experiences. And one of those happens usually around the family table. And that's why I'm seated here today is just to think with us for just a minute about that moment that Christmas moment and what we're looking for in that moment. Of course, there's the people that we enjoy it with, but there's also the food. I know a lot of people do a lot of different things now. I know people that have tamales for Christmas. There are people that do takeout. I'm still a traditionalist and I'm looking forward to that special Christmas meal, the Christmas ham, the Christmas turkey, I tell you, my mom and our whole family, we make a special Christmas dressing that is a tradition in my family going back to my grandmothers and all of the people that have made it throughout the years. And so I look forward to that. Uh, Some of the girls in our family now have these different food allergy things. And so they're they're, they're trying to steal Christmas. I'm going to tell you, there's no such thing as gluten-free Christmas dressing. But I tell you, there's a, there's a, a hope that we all in these moments and in these experiences, there's a hope that we are believing that will happen in our souls. 
There's a, there's a more hopeful year, a better set of circumstances. That's really what we're after in a Christmas moment at a family table. Of course, we're hoping we have some good food. I'm hoping for that chocolate pie. That's what carries me through the whole Christmas meal is I'm gonna have a piece. I'm a chocolate person, so I'm waiting for that piece of chocolate pie. I'm hoping to experience that dressing. But really, it's deeper than just the food. It's deeper than all of the decorations. It's deeper than just gathering at the table. A lot of times, it's, we're looking for that experience, but a lot of times there's challenges when we come together. We're really believing that all the preparation and all the travel that's required and all of the stuff that goes into that moment, we're believing that something will happen inside of us that gives us something that makes us expect for things to be better. But a lot of times we come to the table and maybe there's a loved one. I know that our table is missing my dad's place there. For me, that's emotional when we come and say the prayer to gather. There's, there's some, maybe some of you who've lost a loved one. Maybe you come to the table and things in your job world are not the same and you're, you're hopeful that there's something better coming. Maybe there's a, a kid or a young person that's struggling around the table and everyone is really thinking about them. Maybe you have some depression, some anxiety, some things going on in your own soul. Uh, maybe there's illness or sickness. Whatever it is, we, we come to that moment, that Christmas moment, and we're, we're, we're hoping that we can have a better tomorrow, a better day. But a lot of times when you see the word hope, and that's what I want to talk with you about this Christmas season, and I want to share some things from the scriptures because a lot of times hope is what's online or it's seen in our shopping malls, it's used as advertisement, it's on our Christmas cards. But the fact is for a lot of people, it's just nostalgia. It's just a word. It's, it's just a concept. But did you know, scripturally, the very essence of the Christmas story is that this hope can propel us forward to where we're not just putting that hope and believing that that hope comes into our lives. We're not putting it into just nostalgia or just this Christmas concept, but in fact, it is trust in a person whose name is Jesus who came to begin the possibility that we could hope in our lives for something of more substance. And really, when you boil it all down, you say, Jeff, why is hope important? Well, biblical hope is when you completely know that you can put your trust in a God who is faithful. And so, in fact, the, the biblical concept of hope, I think about Hebrews 6, where it says hope is an anchor for our soul. I think about our Christmas passage this year is going to be from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15, it says this, and again, Isaiah says, and you may not know this about Jesus, but there are hundreds of prophecies years and years before Jesus came as a baby that prophesied that he would come. And, and Romans here in the New Testament is highlighting one of those prophecies from Isaiah. It says Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. I want us to think about that for a minute because you, you may have just brushed over that or you may have never seen that passage before, but the root of Jesse ties to the Christmas story. The root of Jesse is speaking of Jesse's family. Jesse 
is the father of King David. And many, many generations later, there was a man named Joseph who took a young woman named Mary to be his wife. God tells Mary that she would supernaturally carry a baby who would be the hope of the world. And Mary and Joseph, they go from Galilee to Bethlehem for the census that is happening. And while they're there, Mary has this baby. She has it in a manger in a livestock area because there was no room for her and the baby in the inn. And it says that while this is taking place, that the shepherds had angels tell them about the Son of God and that this baby would spread the life and the hope and the salvation that this baby would bring to the whole world. And in the Christmas story, we see that at the culmination of these events, as Mary was thinking about what is happening supernaturally, it says Mary would treasure all these things and ponder them in her heart. The truth is Mary found hope herself even in the root of Jesse. Now back to Romans 15, the root of Jesse, it says, will spring up and one who will rise to rule over the nations. It says this, in him, the Gentiles will hope. So there's that word hope again. Hope being this expectancy, this, as Hebrew says, an anchor for our soul. And I like to think of it this way. It's the expectancy and the trust in God's faithfulness that actually leads us to fully and completely trusting and giving our lives to this baby, this baby that would become a man. His name is Jesus. That's where hope is found. Well, in our remaining time together, I want us to unpack the next verse that's connected to the Christmas story. It says this, and I believe that many of you this Christmas, you're desiring not just for nostalgia, just for a different feeling, but something that can really be trusted and you're looking for this hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. spend a few moments together unpacking that passage in Romans chapter 15 because I think it speaks to us whether we've never heard a biblical passage before, whether we've celebrated Christmas and not really known what it really means, or you've celebrated many, many, many Christmases and read the Bible. The truth is there's something there for all of us. There's a need in all of us. So this year, have you lived more of fill you? with hope, filling you with hope, joy, peace, trust. I like this, overflow. Everybody say overflow. Overflow? Wait, wait. Overflow with hope? Have those been the words that have marked this year? Has it been more discouraged, positive test, furloughed, canceled, changed? Not what my expectation was. And even if you haven't had a whole lot of that, maybe you're hoping for 
a marriage, a baby, a kid to change, a life to transform. You're hoping for something out there, and that inside of you is causing you because you don't know where hope is really found. Is it wrong for me to even hope? It's causing you to live with a mild grade or even a great grade of discouragement and depression. This promise to us is overflow with hope. That's what this verse says, that we can overflow with hope. You're like, well, I need a little more context so that I don't just think, well, pastor, you're just plucking that out of there. We can overflow with hope. No, it's important that you know the context. It's, it's not in any way hard to understand, and it is saying what it's saying. This is written by the Apostle Paul. You might think, did the guy who write, wrote this, did he, did he ever live through quarantine? Oh, yeah, he lived in prison a lot. He was beaten. He was in prison for stuff that he didn't do, only advancing the kingdom of God. He had all kinds of troubles and challenges because he was trying to move forward the kingdom. And he's the one writing this to the Romans. And you may not know about this book if you want to spend some time getting the most exhaustive, legal, analytical, if you will, exhaustive representation of the message of biblical Christianity. It's found in this book. This is where you find we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have messed it up. I know that doesn't fit with popular opinion. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are not just people who are good, who are misinformed and undereducated. We are people filled with the brokenness of sin that destroys life. That's who we are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're like, well, that's depressing. Well, here's the hope. See, if you don't know you have a problem, you're not excited about the solution. But once you know that's where you are, then you're excited about another passage in this book, that the wages of sin is death. Did you know sin, it's fun for a little while, so I hear I'm a pastor, I've never participated in it myself. It's, it's, it's fun for a little while, but its payment is death. Its payment is death. It erodes the soul, it kills your marriage, it kills your relationships. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't really know what life is until you surrender to Jesus. You can get all, you know the person that's the most hopeless is the person who thinks, when I fund my 401k, when I get that house, when I get that dog, when I get that baby, when I get this, when I get this, the most discouraged person on the planet is the person that gets all of it and realizes it can't deliver hope. It cannot deliver hope because it's the gift of God that comes through the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. Apostle Paul's telling them all that. This is where we get passages. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why a lot of people are discouraged? Their souls are condemning them all the time. Because they know what they want to be, but they don't know how to get the power to be what they want to be. And the more they try to be in their own strength what they want to be without God, the more they do what they don't want to do. And condemnation comes to the soul. And you just go, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. But it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can let the chains come off your soul when you give your life to Jesus. I could go on and on. There's some rich passages in this book. But these words we just read are a prayer. They are a prayer from the Apostle Paul to say, now that I've taught you all of this, now that I've told you all these powerful truths about how God relates to us as frail human beings, 
Let me make sure I pray this over you. Lord, fill them. Lord, overflow them through the power of your spirit with hope because if you really spend time, and I don't have time to show you every passage on hope, hope is the starter, it's the instigator, it's the thing that starts generating inside of you the desire to fully trust God in what he says. It begins the process. Hope is what begins the process. How many of you have ever eaten friendship bread? Anybody online or watching in our video? Friendship bread. My wife used to make friendship bread. We were early young pastors. and We're pastoring this old church. And here's the church and here's the steeple. And you open the doors and there's no people. But the people in there didn't like us. They were just mean people. I don't know. You know, they were demons. I mean, deacons. But anyway. <laughs> and I was like, Let's exercise church discipline, you know? Let's lay hands on someone suddenly. Let's do something like that. And my wife said, let's make friendship bread for them, Jeff. I'm like, you are a better Christian than me. You really are. So she started making friendship bread. And you know, the starter is what you share and it grows and you got more starter and there's more friends and there's more bread because the starter is this process where you have something that accelerates the making of bread, but you need the starter. In fact, I saw where there's a, bakery that makes sourdough bread in San Francisco that has a starter that has an unbroken chain that's 171 years old. And I started thinking about hope, how hope is this place where you start the process. It's, it's even like we want to get to faith. Faith is where you fully trust God and God, I'm fully convinced and I'm fully convicted and I'm fully persuaded but actually I gotta have a starting process because it's actually being convicted of that which you hope for. Some of you are like, I've been trying to hold on to faith this year. Faith in people, faith in God, faith in my life, faith for my wife, faith for my kids. Can I submit something to you? Did you leave your hope? You need to maybe go back and grab a little dose of hope because that's the starter. And there's sourdough bread in San Francisco that has a 171-year unbroken chain for its bread. I submit to you, there's a starter for how life works that has an over 2,000-year unbroken chain that started on Christmas. It started on Christmas. Christmas, the very essence of it is you don't have to grope in darkness. You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. Jesus Christ came to make a way for there to be a starter happen inside of you to move you to a different reality, to a total different view on life. And by the way, this is again, not just a concept. I wanna spend my last few moments with you making it really practical, because you're like, okay, I need that. I need some hope. And you're acting like it's just, okay, reach out and grab it. We need to understand where it's found and you need to understand this is really a substance, it's something real, it's not just a fleeting feeling when you talk about biblical hope. You know, most people live their life thinking God is like, you know, running a casino or something, it's snake eyes, boom, I hope I get it, man. We've all done it. You're, you're wondering, should I marry Susie? Should I take that job? Will God give me a job? Will he give me a husband? I want a husband. Come on, somebody. You know, I need this. All right, Lord, all right, all right. And so we drive up to the red light and we're like, if it turns green, God is for me. <laughs> if it turns red, er, the devil's against me. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to live snake eye relationship with God. You can grab a hold of hope. 
You can grab a hold of hope. You say, how do you do it? What does Christmas tell us about hope? Number one, genuine hope comes from Jesus. Where are you at with Jesus? When's the last time you talked to Jesus? When's the last time Jesus asked you to surrender some area of your life? When's the last time you were just fired up about what Jesus is fired up about? When's the last time you were, for some of you, in that place where you were with Jesus? I would say, for some of you that have walked away from where you were with Jesus, you had more hope when you were back there. You had way more hope and a better outlook on life. Some of you go, I don't even know what that looks like, preacher, so I wanna tell you very basically how it looks. And a few years ago, I came up with this little diagram because I'm finding in our culture, there's so much information, so many people are confused about the basic message of Jesus. And so I need to make sure we understand Jesus's message, at least according to the Bible, the real Jesus. So I gave this little diagram. First of all, you have to start with we're broken. I said it, we're all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We're broken people. You don't have to choose to mess your life up. You don't have to choose to mess your marriage up. You don't have to choose to mess, you don't have to choose to get addicted. You don't have to choose to end up what happens. There's this recipe called sin that came from the first human being. And again, there are people out there that believe, well, we're basically all good. Those people have never had a two-year-old. I didn't have to teach my kids how to do something wrong. Why? We're born with that nature and we're all broken and we receive the impact of broken people and we view God sometimes through the lens and perspective of our broken parents or our broken relationships. See, hurt people hurt people and broken people break things. And so we're broken. The problem is we know to have hope there has to be something outside of us. So we grope for this God and you hear me talk about him and we sing about him and we read these verses about overflow with it and it's like, wow, that seems so good. And it really is. And that's where the disconnect is. We know we're so broken and we don't wanna worship a God who has the same problems we do. So there's this perfect God and we don't know how to bridge the gap. That's the message of Jesus. The message of Christianity is God became flesh. He didn't stay in heaven and go like all other religions. Perform, earn your way, do it, keep the rules. He goes, they can't get there. They can't climb their way to heaven, so I'm gonna step down out of heaven and stoop down to where they are. He comes down with us as a baby. He lives a life, sinless life, and you're like, oh yeah, he was Jesus. No, he was fully God, but he was fully man. So if you ever think God doesn't understand what you're going through, the Bible says Jesus is acquainted with our griefs. He went through every single bit of it right here on this earth. He goes to a cross. One of my friend's sons just got a little new cross necklace and I started asking him about the cross. We have this little religious symbol that's a cross. Did you know what? That cross represents a place of sacrifice. A place where Jesus gave his life, why? Because different than any other religion, he didn't say you come earn your way to me. You come do all the right religious details. If you get them right, okay, you got that one, you got that one. It's not like a test or a grade in school and there's no curve. Perfection is the only thing. So he goes as the perfect sinless lamb and he pays a debt that you could never pay. He lives a life that you could never live so you could live a life that you couldn't earn. And he goes and pays that price. And here's what's so awesome about Jesus. And you say, Pastor, you speak so convictedly like Jesus will come to us, like he'll talk to us, like he'll encourage us. You're so hopeful about it. You know why I'm so hopeful? Because Jesus is different than any other religion. 
Every other religion says, do this and you'll have a better life. You'll get this, you'll have this kind of eternal relationship with God, whatever it is. And there's a list of rules. But if you keep them all right, then you get the prize. And that person who portrayed those religious ideologies, their bones are in a tomb somewhere. The difference in Jesus is he rose from the dead. He's alive today. And he'll come and speak to you. This is so important that you know it's not good people getting better. It's people who are dead in their sin receiving Jesus and coming back to spiritual life. That's the message of Jesus. You say, why do you use that graph? Well, you know, I've also realized that little picture graph hits on some of where I pastor, different, different barriers in different cultures. But where I pastor, the people I pastor who I live with and talk to all the time, I found they have some barriers that are pretty common. See, the reason we have to talk about broken humanity is when I talked to a guy a few weeks ago, what are you going to do when you stand before God? Won't be any jokes then. It won't be St. Peter and your pastor's not going to be there. Your uncle who's a pastor is not going to be there. It's going to be you and God. Well, what are you going to tell God? He said, here's what I'll tell him. I was a good person. That one statement will, spend, will cause more people to spend eternity separated from God. That one statement. Because I began to press him. So you say you're good. Have you ever lied? Yeah, yeah, I've lied. Have you ever cheated? Yeah, I've cheated. So you're a lying, cheating good person is what you're telling me, right? I'm going to stop asking questions because it could be embarrassing. Come on now. No, when we say we're good, we're comparing ourselves to someone else. That's why you need a good heathen friend, by the way. When you stand before God, you go, I lied and cheated, but he, he's off the rails. He is a full-blown good heathen. You know, there are people that are good heathens. I actually like good heathens, by the way. They get saved easier. I mean, real good heathens know they're a mess. Religious heathens think they're okay and tell God, I'm a good person. And that'll cause more people to spend eternity separated from God. The other one is that story. That's the essence of the message of Jesus. I talk to people and they, they have trouble even with their heritage. If I surrender to that, if I surrender to that Jesus, what does that say about my heritage? Can I say something very clear to every person listening, whether video service or online? When you stand before God one day and you will, and he asks you, why should I allow you into my kingdom? I was a Lutheran is not the right answer. I was an Episcopal. I went to a milestone and my pastor was bald and powerful. It's not gonna do anything for you. you know, put in a word for me if you would, when you're there, you know what I'm saying? Hey, he's in the back, let him in. But look, it's not gonna help. The only answer is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gift that I made available to you? That's the only answer. The other one, this perfect God, that's hard for us to accept because I meet a lot of people today I've ministered to a lot of people even that were atheists. We have them get saved in our church. And a lot of people think that it's intellectual questions. And sometimes you think with your friends, you need to know the whole Bible and what happened to the dinosaurs. And, you know, if we had powdered water, what would we add? And could God make a rock so big he couldn't move? It's not that. Those are great things to talk about. But as I've ministered to atheists and agnostics, most of the time, it's an emotional brokenness from their childhood or their family somewhere where they go, God, where were you? Where were you when my husband walked out? Where were you when my kid got sick? 
It's an emotional pain. And I want to tell you, this side of heaven, there's some things we go through that we won't totally understand. And if God gave us all the answers, it wouldn't fix it anyway. In that book, it says this. Why did Paul say, overflow with hope, overflow with hope? Because this good God, in this midst of this broken world, can somehow, for those who love him, can work all things together for good. It's true. Don't let those barriers stop you. And I'm going to push a little bit more. I'm going to go from preaching, as I say, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. You know why there's rampant fear in our world today? Because so many people actually believe that this is all there is. If we don't have it right all here, then we don't have it. Can I inform you of something of a biblical Christian worldview that's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ? Go study hope in the New Testament. Hope in the New Testament was not just hope here on earth. And I'm going to tell you, it can come here on earth. But for the person who believes in Jesus, they know this, that no matter what happens to me, this is not my home. There is appointed unto man once to die, we will all stand before God and then the judgment. And there's an eternal possibility for you to spend eternity with God in a place where there is no sin, where there is no brokenness. And you know what? You say, Jeff, are we just going to talk about the sweet by and by? And this is where you kind of go heaven and hell, as my pastor used to say. Well, hell's a real place and there's nothing good there. And heaven is a beautiful place where we spend eternity with God. And you know what? It's a reality. And my dad's there. And my uncle's there. My grandmother's there. See, when you get a little bit older, and I got friends who have aging parents now. One of my friends on staff, she lost her mom this week. I have another friend walking through an aging father and challenges. But I'm going to tell you something. When your children get to that place or you get to that place, when you come into that, when your hope is in an eternal promise, it anchors your soul. It anchors your soul. That's the Bible. Now, I want to talk about here and now, too, because I know some of you are like, well, I'd like some of that hope in my real life now, too. And the good news is hope also changes the things we care about most. Hope changes the atmosphere of wherever you go. A person who's anchored to hope, and I'm not just talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about karma. Remember, that's roll the dice. I'm talking about a person who has a rooted conviction that is biblical where there's been a transfer of the very nature of God into their soul. It changes what they care about most. It can change your depression. And I want to tell you, I may be talking, I know all during our messages this Christmas, we have people tuning on online and we hear, there are people, let me just tell you, when you get to a place of suicide and acute depression, here's the most dangerous part of that. Any person who works with people knows this. Where you get to the dangerous place is when you have no hope. I want to tell someone listening to me, there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. You don't have to let the enemy's strategy bring you to a place to think there is no hope. It can change your family. It can change your relationships. It can change how you see your whole world. Hope can be an agent of change in your world. You know what? That's what I love about our church, too, is we're not just a gathering where we just hear about people preach, but we like to say we're a spiritual family. Did you know what spiritual families are? They're distributors of hope. They're not perfect people, but they're just people who they have fell in love with this Jesus, and they're all on a different journey, but... This Jesus is so real to them that every person they meet, whether it's just a smile or a friendly look or a serve them or help them, they 
they distribute hope into dark areas of people's lives. I see it happen all the time. I want to go back to the people that I told you and then I'm going to pray for you. Let me tell you about these people. Rebecca, God supernaturally moves her to Marshall Ridge here by our Keller campus. And so they move there not knowing that she's within walking distance of Milestone Church. She comes and, man, she gets involved. She goes to the grow track. She brings her husband and where she was, ha- this epilepsy had kind of isolated her and I can't drive. Now she finds all of these new friends and a new purpose and she's serving others. And I loved in her testimony that she wrote her and her husband. She said, we love to come to church. And I don't know what tradition they grew up in. They said, we feel like every Sunday's like youth camp. I'm like, I could relate to that. man. I was like, why can't we do youth camp every week? But anyway, it's amazing. Zay. Wow, what a powerful story. The first of this month, she was baptized. The lady standing beside her is Noelle. Noelle's a school administrator, and she started taking an interest in this girl when she's 16 years old. Starts helping her, starts pouring into her, and at 20 years old, she adopted her. And we just got a picture while I've been sharing her story. She came to one of our service. She graduated from college, a troubled background, a troubled home. And Noel takes her in as her own daughter. They're baptized together. They serve on the First Impressions teams together. I, w- I want to say something to the enemy and the forces of darkness and to everything being said in our culture. If you're not careful, you'll tune in to every element of fear and negativity and think our world is hopeless. That's a living example that I'm showing you right there that hope is alive still in our world. And there are people that are filled with the truth of hope that are distributing it to people around them. Lee, I actually met Lee. I met Lee and he came, was baptized. You know, he had this troubled relationship, marriage, never been to church, played football for Texas A&M, so he needed an extra dose of hope. He needed Jesus, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Lord knows he was almost unsavable. I mean, just to be honest. Enter Art and Denise to Lee's story. Business owners, we did a Bible study through the book of Ephesians and passed out some guides and we just decided, you know what? We're going back to the basics as a church. We're gonna pray for one another. We're gonna study the Bible, whether online or in person. And I love all of these stories too because it's not the professional people, it's all of you. You need to always remember this. You're a hope distributor. Art and Denise take this guide into their business and before they know it, 20 plus people are studying the Bible together. And Lee was one of those who gave his heart and life to Christ. And just a few days ago, they were baptized and I was walking out of 101, a young man grabbed me and said, Pastor Jeff, I want you to see this. And out of those people, there was actually 20 plus people then more, there's about 35, 40 people attended this service and they came to see the six or eight people, including Lee, who got water baptized because they got saved in that group. That's hope distribution. I'm very excited about Angel. Very powerful story, Angel. She spends her last $20 for a babysitter, special needs kids at home. Eviction notice, this is real life. I gotta get to that meeting. I gotta get to that joy thing people are talking about. She comes in and she sits and what she doesn't know is there's a hope distributor There's a hope-filled person named Jess sitting behind her. 
And Jess says in her own words, she goes, I don't really do this. I don't, I don't really do this. I don't really pray for people. But she felt the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Pray for that lady in front of you. If you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus lives inside of you, we can all relate to this moment because she said, no, 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 I've done that. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit says, Jeff, do this. You're like, no, no, I had pizza last night. That's not God. I no, it's not the Lord, you know. Angel's about to walk off. The Holy Spirit said, I said, pray for her. Jess prayed for her and heard her story. In a matter of hours, she shared with her friends and small group. They raised the money for this family to not get evicted, took care of all of their needs, introduced her to our Adopt-A-Family program. All her kids got Christmas. And Angel said by her own testimony, for the first time in years, I have hope. I have joy. I have peace. Why do I tell you these stories? I tell you these stories. These are not made up. These are real stories. And you can think, oh, that's them. No, that's you. That's me. In our most desperate hour, there's a Jesus who sees us, who loves us, who cares about us. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To take your next step in your relationship with God, we invite you to join us in person or online at milestonechurch.com. There, you'll find service times and events happening around the church. We'll see you next week.